Sisters, but not by birth. Family, but not by DNA. David and Adam are two of a kind, and they want to borrow some of your day to talk into your ear holes about midi chlorians and roller coasters. Those two things are unrelated, but so are they. They're unrelated at birth, like most people who aren't related. Unrelated at birth, but they're brothers in a brotherly way. Now it's time for the phenomenal brother and the golden voice of the South. They're brothers from different mothers, but they're both really proud to be unrelated at birth. And welcome back into another wonderful episode of Unrelated at Birth. And this week is a doozy, guys. But before we get into everything we've got, I am, as always, the one, the only, the golden voice of the South, the human jukebox, Dave Adams, all the way from the top of the state of Alabama in Madison, Alabama, in the one and only Unrelated at Birth podcast studio. And as always, I brought along my friend, and I might have a couple other people around today, too. I have from the House of Mouse, Central Florida, St. Cloud, wherever you are this week. In the Southern Command of the Unrelated Birth Studio, Adam Russell, the phenomenal brother. What's going on, man? I'm where I always do. Do, do I do I move around more than I think? Well, I do? you were outside last week. So. Oh, I was outside last week. That's true because the weather uh, was so nice. But not now, you, thanks to Etta, Ida, Ida, ETA, whatever you call ETA, it. ETA, ETA, yeah. Turbo, I didn't bring you in yet. God, man, come on. Mess you know up, how particular man. he is. Yeah, Turbo, who brought him <laughs> on the show? I. Look, he got our guest of the week, so I guess I have to be nice to him. All right, everybody knows Luke Bryan, Eric Terry, Turbo. I don't. Why do we call you Luke Bryan again? It's this smooth, sultry Southern sound. No, <laughs> no. no it, it's it's one guy. It, one guy said it, and it stuck, and it got a comment on, on iTunes. That's all I can say. Oh, okay, I got it. I got it. This for those that are watching our live feed. Brad Toon just has the greatest quote. Now, you know we're in trouble when Dave is the one giving reminders to keep it family-friendly. That's yeah, true. We're, we're in trouble. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Eric, bring in our guest. He's your friend. Hopefully, he'll be everybody's friend by the end of the show. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> so, today we have Conrad Thompson, who is synonymous throughout the whole wrestling world uh, right now. He's one of the hottest topics going on. He's a podcast host to five different, six different, a multiple podcasts. Uh, with some of the, the wrestling greats uh, from the past, present, and future. Uh, so here he is, Conrad Thompson. Uh, I don't get the the Luke Bryan moniker. You look like Luke Bryan. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes out swinging, like I always said. I've known Conrad for, what, 12, 13 years. And, you know, back when we were uh, watching UFC pay-per-views, uh, with uh, I met him through my roommate, who was his best friend from Gunnersville, and just you yeah. know. So just so Conrad, walk us through something, man. I, your story it, it intrigues me because you grew up just like normal wrestling fans, but now you are like Eric said, synonymous in the wrestling game. So. First off, how did you get, you know, talk to us about how you got into wrestling. 
Uh, my parents, like a lot of parents in the 80s, took to a video store, and that was going to be our babysitter for the weekend. And uh, they decided <laughs> to rent me the double tape VHS because they could use it as a babysitter twice as long of WrestleMania 4. I was enamored with these larger-than-life characters and quickly fell in love with wrestling and just been a wrestling fan ever since. And uh, like everybody, I guess I sort of grew out of it, and uh, my fandom waned. And I was done by 92. Uh, but then I'm flipping through the channels in late 96, see Hulk Hogan, my, my icon, my hero standing there in black. And I thought, what in the world is this? It was the NWO. And, uh, before I knew it, I was all the way back in. I watched pretty religiously for about 10 years and in 2006, got out of wrestling. And, uh, then I bought a Ric Flair robe on eBay in 2013 and found myself all the way back in and, uh, fast forward to 2015. And I had befriended Ric Flair, I guess in 13, and he had an opportunity to do a podcast, knew that I did a little bit of radio advertising for my mortgage company and asked me to come in for the first episode and ask fan questions. And at the end he dug it and CBS dug it and they dug it and they asked me to come back and I became an accidental podcaster. So it wasn't my plan to become a podcaster, but I wound up having fun and made some money. And now I don't just have one. I have five and I'm still doing it. So here we are. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, Ric Flair was your first podcast, I guess, your first soiree into the game. Um, how did that happen? Because when you first started it, podcasting was in its infancy. Um, were you, did y'all have to be in the same room at the time? Did, you know, how did that how did that really work uh, to to get it situated? Flair's old school. He doesn't own a computer. Uh, he doesn't want he doesn't want a computer or learn how to computer. That's the way he talks about it. Uh, <laughs> They set him up, you know, CBS worked through his agent. They did a podcast contract through their play.it platform, which was a CBS radio initiative. And they had studios in downtown Atlanta. So once a week he would cruise over there and he invited me to come over and that's how we started it. And then eventually instead of, you know, flying or driving back and forth to Atlanta every week, I don't think I ever drove it though. I think I always flew because it's like a 22 minute flight. I just said, Hey, you know what? I can't make it this week. I've got to, you know, be here for my real job. And they said, well, Hey, could you Skype? So sure, I became a Skype podcaster and uh, that sort of became the new way. And uh, he would continue to go in uh, to the studio for a few months. And then eventually we figured out how to put Skype on his phone. And, uh, well, if you were listening back then, you heard he was really interested at first and then not so much. <laughs> it, got, it, it, got, it, got, it got long and drawn and he hit or miss on some episodes. Well, so, so Flair kind of brought into Bruce Pritchard. And for a lot of wrestling fans, they did not know who Bruce Pritchard was until you came along and brought him back into the wrestling game. Uh, talk about something to wrestle and, and how, first off, let me ask you, is it something to wrestle with or just something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard? As long as there's one with, we're good. It's something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that w w we, we met everybody through doing the flare pod. So at different times we had Jim Ross and we had Eric Bischoff and we had Tony Schiavone and we had Bruce Pritchard as guests. So I became familiar with those guys. And then, uh, I hosted Bruce here at my house one weekend and we just hung out and got to know each other and watched some football together and watched the UFC together. And we started to bounce ideas around and I came up with some fun marketing campaigns. You know, he obviously did a lot of television production over the years and, uh, we started working together and did uh, some very successful mortgage campaigns. And after one of those long days where we were shooting outside uh, in August, 
uh, or maybe it wasn't, I guess it was July. I pressed him and said, um, I'm not pressed. I guess I just casually said, Hey man, what happened when, and I asked him about the <laughs> radicals when they jumped from WCW to the WWF. Well, he told me the story, but, uh, the, the whole course of the story with me asking little questions along the way was more than an hour. And I was just fascinated with it. And at the end I said, dude, that's a podcast. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, this is what a podcast should be. Not the interview format that everybody's been doing with guests, just one topic in long form. What we just did on this couch, every wrestling fan would love to hear, but he had tried a podcast years before and said, ah, nobody wants to hear from me. There's no money in it. You can't get guests. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I've got this figured out. I know how to do it. We've just got to get your story out there. I'm telling you this will work. And a few episodes in after I did convince him to do it and we got a deal worked out with MLW to help distribute it through audio boom. Fast forward and we do the radicals episode and it was our first hit. The very first story that he told me on the couch that made me convinced this would be a hit. I uh, did phenomenal downloads. So many that we thought that can't be right. There, there's an error in the software and fast forward a few months and I reached out to a major player, uh, sent them screenshots of our stats. And within five business days of doing that, we had a contract with a guarantee and a huge signing bonus. And all of a sudden we became a big deal in wrestling podcast. <laughs> well, before we get into other stuff, I want to ask. Hang on. You talked about Bruce staying with you. So is that where and who came up with Connor Addison? No, no, it was a friend from Nashville. Ah, okay. All right. So let, let's fast forward a bit. Do you take credit for Bruce getting back into good graces with Vince? I don't know that he was ever out of good graces with Vince. I mean, they always had a, a good conversation, you know, a good relationship, you know, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, all that type of stuff. Uh, but there's no question that Bruce Pritchard is back a part of WWE because of the success of something to wrestle. I mean, he was all the way out of wrestling, uh, yep. but, but that show got him back into impact. It got him into MLW and it got him into WWE. Bruce Pritchard was a non-starter in the wrestling business. His name was not discussed. He was. He was wrestling was done with him and he was done with wrestling, but he started having more fun and making more money than ever before through the podcast that it actually took a little bit of convincing from Vince to get Bruce to come back because, you know, he made more money with something to wrestle that last year. We were just so low, no WWE affiliation than, than he ever had when he was working for Vince the first time. Uh, and this way he was, you know, floating around his pool and talking to me for three hours. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, yeah. it was going to take quite a commitment, uh, move and be on a commercial airplane five days a week. But magically, uh, Vince found the right number and off he went. And so it's so I got weird. So weird to hear. It was so weird. Like, so I listened to Dusty. Dusty, the Dusty episode is probably my favorite, one of the first ones you guys did. But it's so weird to hear your voice on a long-form podcast with Bruce Pritchard. It was just weird at the time because it was like, <laughs> I know he was in, I know he had, a, he had this with Flair and now he's with Bruce and then they're talking about this. And just your knowledge, I, I I forgot how knowledgeable you were, and like because we used to sit around and talk about wrestling, talk about UFC, talk about all that, the movies and everything, and you're in that little bit of your room, little movie room we, that you guys had that you had at your old house, like two houses, three houses ago, uh, that we hung the TVs up in, and and just to hear you talking about that stuff on a long form podcast and be like as as you know widespread as it was and how famous it get got, like that was just it was it was mind blowing to me. It was just so, so great. And I found myself listening to it all the time. Like I, now his voice is more annoying to me now. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, let me ask you this, and, and you can decline to answer because I don't know if this would, would hurt or anything, but well, two questions. Do you, do you, one, do you find it hard to do the podcast now because Bruce might be a little bit not forthcoming with information because he is back behind the scenes? No, I'm not talking really? about current stuff. I'm talking about old stuff. You know, yeah. everybody's got their narrative, but I mean, the reality is, you know, we took a monster dump on, on TNA not once, but twice. And then they hired him and, and yeah. authority, authority figure on the TV. You know, he was, when you go back and you listen to even the very beginning of something to wrestle, Bruce was not ever overly critical of Vince McMahon. That never changed. Uh, it, he may have been critical of some of the decisions that were made, but you have to appreciate when he would dig his heels in, he wasn't defending Vince. He was defending his own idea. Most of those yeah. ideas, he was in the room. Maybe he wasn't his original idea, but he was there when they were formed. And it, it's one of those deals where, you know, we can beat each other up in, in this room, but when we walk out of here, we've got to be a united front. Anyone who's been in a leadership position knows that that's the case. So he would defend some of those ideas because he had to sell himself on it before he could sell other people, but he can still to this day, poke fun at stuff. I mean, just last week when we're talking about Bundy, we talked about <laughs> stinker matches and he couldn't wait to say it was horrible. And he used some rather colorful language when he was explaining how horrible it was. So no, that has not changed, but I understand that the WWE haters out there have a narrative. They want to push that. Oh, well, Bruce is back there. So of course he has to defend everything, but right. we ain't talking about Bray Wyatt or Alexa bliss at all ever. So there's nothing for him to defend. We're doing the same stuff we were doing, you know, two years ago. Uh, but, but some folks just think, well, no, it's not the same for me because I know he works there. Well, that's on you. That's not on us. That proves the point right there. He makes fun of his own gimmicks that he made up. I mean, he, he gets on his, his, it's on himself and makes fun of himself. Of course you give him a, a harder time with some of those bad gimmicks back in the day, but I mean, that's the proof of the pudding where he makes fun of himself. And that's, that's why I brought it up because I, I know that there is a, a group of fans, I put fans in quotation marks that, that like to crap on your product now because of, of what, where, where Bruce is working again. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's changed any. And I, th I love the fact that what's going on still. So, um, is, is Conrad frozen? I can't nope. tell. Oh, nope. that, <laughs> you just have this, this stare, Conrad. It's scary. Well, I didn't think there was anything for me to say there. I'm sorry. No, no, all good, sir. All good. Um, let me and, and this will for you know kind of move into the other podcast you have. Tell me if I'm wrong in thinking this way, but I've noticed that when someone else has an when someone in WWE has an affiliation with someone else in another arena, another league, another promotion that person in WWE kind of gets a little bit of a, a D push or gets a little bit of, of crap heat in the back. Have you noticed any, any heat on you or any heat on Bruce because of your affiliation with AEW or your affiliation with Arn or JR or anything like that? No, no, uh, no, no heat. That's, that's awesome. Uh, by the way, Adam, we, we will describe what heat is on the next segment. Um, Thanks, yeah, speaking of, yeah, all the, I mean, all the terms, he, he, he has no idea. He, he, he just way, way over. Yeah. I don't, I don't get heat. <laughs> That's going to be the fun part, Conrad. Um, so uh, what's your, I, you have five podcasts. I have to ask, what's your favorite? 
Well, that's asking, that's like asking who your favorite kid is, you know, I enjoy them all for different reasons. You know, Bruce Pritchard is the one, uh, that, that sort of put us on the map and, uh, he and I have such a chemistry and camaraderie together because there for a while, when we were doing all the mortgage production, he would be here for a week, a month. So you can't spend, you know, 13 weeks a year with somebody and then travel the world with them and go to Europe with them and not you know, be able to finish each other's sentences. And so when we're doing the show on video and I can see him and he can see me, we just get tickled just looking at each other because we know what the other one's thinking. <laughs> and that <laughs> level of chemistry doesn't exist with any of my other co-hosts. The closest to it though is Tony Schiavone. And again, that's because we've just spent so much real life time together. Uh, and Tony Schiavone and Bruce Pritchard are both hilarious. Uh, Arn is hilarious in his own way, but he's very much coming into his own and sort of finding his, his groove in podcasting. He's a guy who's played everything very close to the vest with professional wrestling for so long. He's not quite as comfortable as the other two are just yet. Uh, Eric Bischoff is one of my more fun shows to do because we do get to talk about the more analytical business side of things. And that's the way my brain just normally works more. And, and Jim Ross is just a freaking legend and he has such a strong opinion about everything and he's not shy about sharing it. You know, there's a lot of people who say that they're all out of uh, blanks to give Jim Ross is the definition of that. He ain't had any in a long time. Uh, <laughs> so it's fun to hear him uh, get the red light on the show. Yeah. Um, Eric. So with Bischoff, I, I know that with other podcasters he's worked with, They've had to walk on eggshells because there are things that he does not want to bring up and doesn't want to talk about. Have you had to walk on eggshells with Bischoff about WCW, about the fall of WCW, about anything like that? I'm sorry, say again? Have you had to walk on eggshells with Eric Bischoff about the questions you ask or how you ask them? Because like like I've, I've known with other podcasters in the back in the past, Bischoff has not been the most forthcoming with information about WCW. No, you haven't listened to enough of the shows. We've had knockdown, drag out, screaming matches at each other. Uh, oh, yeah, he, they've gotten passionate. I've, I've heard some of those. Yeah, and my favorite. So, I've, if I'm not mistaken, there's been several where Bischoff just turned the mic off and just, <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, it's not going anymore. And Kakari have to convince him to come back on and call him, call him a name and get him, get him, you know, get him <laughs> up and riled up and get him talking again. Well, I've heard that, but I thought that was just y'all being funny. So nope. that really was, that really yeah. is Eric getting mad. That, that's working. Your, that, that's, that's the definition of working yourself into a shoot, Adam. Take note. Oh, nice. Okay. Here's the thing too. And Eric knows this in my real life. I, by nature, am going to pick and prod and poke. Like I am the ultimate jokester and, and ribber and, and button pusher. If you mess around and let me know you have a sensitive spot about something, you have messed up because I am a lot. And now it's made even worse because now it's more entertaining radio if I can do it, which in turn makes us all more money. So if you actually open up and show me that something bothers you, uh, I'm about to wear it out. And that's what I did with Eric, and, and it worked out. And it became our highest grossing show, even to this day. You know, something wrestles still gets more downloads, but. There's more revenue drug in on 83 weeks than any of the other pod. I, I will say 83 weeks hooked me when the, it was the DX invades WCW episode. I guess that was episode three. It hooked me when it was, it was out. It was daytime, Eric. It was day. You know, you, you started yelling. It wasn't, you know, there was a couple other words in there. Yes, but, uh, 
but it, it was that's what hooked me is that you keep it real and you don't sugarcoat anything and i think that's really the dynamic that has worked for uh our podcast is that you know a lot of the other sort of celebrity driven podcasts it's just the celebrity and no one there to challenge them and they may have a co-host but that person is is a glad hander that person is is not on equal footing and we approach the show totally differently in that you know, the, it's not Eric's show and I just happen to be there. It's our show, me and him. And, and I'm sort of driving the show and he's responding and don't get me wrong. I'm, it's not lost on me while people are listening. They're listening to the Eric Bischoff show. And I'm proud to say it, which is why his name is in the title and not mine. I don't have my name in any of the shows. It's 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. He's the draw, but uh, we've got to be able to have a real conversation or else it just becomes a PR piece. And that's been done to death. So we've got to be on equal footing and I've got to have a voice and it can't just be, I have to yes, sir, no, sir, to everything. And people really uh, gravitate to the stuff where I challenge it because at home they're wanting to do that, but they can't. So they get to live vicariously through me when I flip out on him. Yeah. Did, did Eric realize that at first, or did you kind of have to say, look, man, I'm going to ruffle your feathers. Uh, yeah. I mean, he knew, but it still took a while for him to get comfortable with it because you know, he was trying to be, and you listen to some of those early episodes and you'll hear him say, well, there's two questions there. Um, I'll start with the first one first. He was almost giving like a deposition style answer. And I can appreciate that he's trying to be factual and just get the truth out there and all that jazz. But the reality was I'm trying to be entertaining. And so we did have to have a conversation where I said, I want you to listen to the Bruce Pritchard show. And he said, oh, I have, and that's what I'm trying to do. I said, but, but he admitted, I'm not funny. I'm not. I'm not going to be as witty or charming, or I'm just not funny. I can't even try to be funny. I said, okay, well, listen to some of the Tony Schiavone stuff. And he said, oh, that's even worse. I'm not funny. I can't do that. And I said, what I'm saying is we're trying to do whatever it takes to entertain the listener. So I don't need to give a three minute question and then get a yes or a no. I need you to make a pivot. And I gave an example like, um, Hey Bruce on so-and-so day in Sandusky, Ohio, all of a sudden Owen Hart was on TV, but he was wearing brown boots. And it's the only time we ever saw him with brown boots. Did they lose his luggage? Was it a rib? What can you tell us now? And Bruce could have said, I don't know. And that would have been it. And now it's time to move on. But instead, Bruce would say something like, you know, Conrad, I wasn't at that particular taping, but I will tell you this. Owen was a notorious river who was known for messing with guys gear. And it wouldn't surprise me if they just told him that the airline lost it. And really it was in somebody else's trunk. And then they made him use someone else's boots, but they were boots that were going to be thrown out because they were so smelly. That's the type of prank that Owen would pull. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's what was happening here. Now that's a real answer that could be, that could be entertaining and insightful and engaging, or it could just be, I don't know. So you've got to understand just the dynamics of talk radio and how to sort of be verbose and not just give a freaking deposition. And that took a little while for Eric, but once he got it, I think he got it too much because sometimes I'll ask him, <laughs> and I'll go make a sandwich, take a swing. <laughs> I didn't miss anything. I can take the headsets off and come put them back on. And I didn't miss a thing. He's still going. So I, I need to reel him back in at some point, but we've got, <laughs> we've got so many ads right now that I'm okay with him giving 30 minute answers. It gives me a spot to slide in more commercials. There you go. That's, that's, that's great. And you got to knock your door down for that, right? <laughs> yeah, we're sold out every three weeks, every single week. Uh, we've been very, very blessed with a great advertising base. Westwood one has been 
a phenomenal broadcast partner. I know that there's been a lot of podcasts in the wrestling genre that for whatever reason didn't work with Westwood. We've been blessed that we've had a great relationship and we've just renewed all of our contracts over there. Uh, or I just got the renewals last week. So we're in the process of getting those executed and hope to be annoying people for a long time with, I hate Steven singer commercials. <laughs> my favorite, my, like my absolute favorite ones that you do now is like the ones with Jericho. Like the, mm-hmm. the episodes you do with Jericho, like him going, taking him through his his time in the WWE, WWF, WWCW, and all that. Like you stepping him, you step him through his career and hear him tell the stories. Like that's, I'm a huge Jericho fan though too. But that's some of my favorite ones here lately. And I, so let, let me ask you this: you know, the Jericho is actually a, a good, a good, um, a good example of this. So I know after the A3 weeks where. Bischoff was going through Jericho and how he let go of Jericho. Jericho asked you to come on his show and do the same type of show where Jericho told his side. Are there other wrestlers that have done that with you and said, Hey, you know, I want to tell my story. Come on my show and let's, let's do this. Um, no, I mean, you know, I've, I've done Conan's podcast a few times and I mean, I guess I've done a few of them for sure, but I don't think there's been somebody who said, Hey, can you bring your research and your preparation and let me just retort? And, uh, I mean, I've, that's only been Jericho. And I think we've done it two or three times now. Uh, but he told me at the time, you know, it was some of his biggest downloaded stuff, which wasn't a surprise to me because what Jericho fans want to hear is about Jericho. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they enjoy him talking about ghost hunting or music or talking to other wrestlers, but what they <laughs> really want is for Chris Jericho to talk about Chris Jericho's career. So, it was not a surprise to me that people who love Chris Jericho and listen to Chris Jericho's podcast want to hear Chris Jericho's story. So, uh, it was not a surprise to me at all that, that him himself was one of his best topics. I was just the guy asking the question, but they were tuning oh, in for him. Yeah. And some of the best stories that he tells on that podcast when he has a guest is, is their stories together. Like I just listened to one with Miro on it and they were talking about back when he was in, when, Jericho was in WWE with Miro talking about how they used to hang out and Lonnie's throwback with them and she'd be the last one to go to bed and, and they just hang out drinking all night. Like that, those kind of stories, he's talking about the stories that they had together, but like those are the fun stories. And that's when he, that's why I think he's really entertaining. Yeah. By the way, those that don't know Miro is former Rusev in WWE. Miro is now in AEW. Um, just clearing that up for those that aren't marks like me and Eric and Conrad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Conrad, what's next for you? I know you've got these five. Is there anything else coming? Yeah. Adfreeshows.com. You know, we've, we've started to do uh, ad free versions of all of our shows, but we've really leveled it up and added a lot of new content. Uh, we've got mailbag Mondays with Gerald Briscoe and Mike Yoda. Uh, we've got, uh, some, some fun behind the scenes mechanics of what works in a wrestling match and why it works with perhaps the most prolific trainer ever. Dr. Tom Pritchard. Uh, we've got some fun comedy stuff with Mance Warner, where he tries to explain silly wrestling to uh, some of our wives that are not wrestling fans. We call that mansplaining. We've got On the Road Again, which is just a couple of GoPros hooked up to Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross. <laughs> they make towns together and just have casual conversation about everything in between. But my, my proudest thing this year so far is uh, we tracked down Jim Hurd, who is a notorious old school executive vice president of WCW. He ran the company from January of 89 through January of 92. And there was a lot of good, bad, and the ugly there. 
And uh, the narrative on him has been mostly negative. And I didn't know that it was completely fair. But I think part of that is because we just haven't heard from him. His last interview was with uh, Dave Meltzer in March of 2001. So to hear his side of things uh, objectively uh, as, from an 88-year-old man's perspective, who's still very mentally sharp, it was uh, pretty remarkable. And, and we're really proud of it. It's the first time we've done something like this. It's not just audio. It's video. We shot it in 4K. Uh, we've got the actual big gold belt that he oh, wow. made famous in the background. We've got the belt that replaced it. And I came in with tons and tons of research. It's about an hour and 42 minutes of inside baseball that if you're an old school wrestling fan who remembers Rick Steiner or the great Muda or big van Vader, it's going to be uh, right up your alley. And that's all at adfreeshows.com. I do think video is the next sort of foray. We're going to start doing video versions of all of our podcasts. I've got a few more video series coming, including a belt series that I think will be a tremendous hit. And we're just trying to make adfreeshows.com sort of the one-stop shop for all wrestling fans. In a perfect world, I would think in a few years, all wrestling fans would have a subscription to the WWE Network, a subscription to the Wrestling Observer, and a subscription to adfreeshows.com. And I think if you've got those three, you've got all the audio and video content you need and all the news that's fit to print over at the Observer. So that brings up another question that I want to ask that I've been dying to ask you, actually. You've talked about how, as a 15-year-old kid, you subscribe to The Observer, Dave Melser and, and all of them over there at The Observer. Everybody, every one of your shows craps on Dave Meltzer. So is, is Meltzer right, or is Meltzer mostly just thinking about what he's doing? You know, is he kind of just a, you know, this is where I think things are going? They don't all crap on him. That's just the narrative that you remember from two of the hosts, <laughs> Bruce and Eric. Well, I understand that everybody has their own agenda, but you know, if you're looking for an industry trade, if you're looking for an independent source who has been a week in, week out, pardon the pun, observer of the business, and you're looking for some historical artifact to go reference for research now, for instance, when I did the research for or when we, because I had a team help me, do the research for Jim Hurd, where could I go find that? There's no Jim Hurd book. There's no Jim Hurd autobiography. He hasn't. He did one radio interview that anybody ever heard uh, that was that was of any substance. He had a couple other one-offs with John Arezzi, uh, but those were really to plug his hotline and other promotions. But as far as you know, real hard-hitting stuff, the last time we heard from him were a handful of interviews in the early 90s, and then that, that interview with Dave in 2001. The only other place to go to get that information is the observer. So I, I went to the observer and I went to torch and I went to Matt watch, but you know, Matt watch Steve Beverly's out of that game. And he, you know, th there's, there's one, I guess there's two, if you count Wade, there's two industry trades that tell the story of the business, you know, from the eighties to now that's Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller. And of the two, you know, one is Coke and one's Pepsi. And that's no disrespect to Wade Keller, but Dave Meltzer is the Coca-Cola brand of that. So if you're going to quote someone's news or opinion, like how many stars did, did, uh, Okada get from Wade Keller? Nobody knows, but they know exactly how many Dave Meltzer gave. So if he's sort yeah. of the brand that everybody's referencing, I don't know why I would quote anything else. There's no other industry guide that's published or present for me to research or, or tap into. So Dave is it. He is the foremost opinion in professional wrestling, but it is an opinion. You know, that's the other thing that I think people get caught up on is, you know, there's not a, 
you know, to, I'm in the real estate business. So, you know, when you do a home appraisal, you have a, a, a value, like a cost value, a cost approach. What would it cost to build this house? But then you've also got the comparable sales approach. Like what are houses like this selling for? Well, a lot of that stuff is debatable. Like it's not debatable how many square feet your house is. It's not debatable how many bedrooms and baths it is, but it is debatable how much the granite in your kitchen's worth, you know, like that's all subject to. So I think it's important to remember all of Dave Meltzer's opinions about wrestling are just that it's just his opinion. And it's not worth getting that fired up about. Well, can, can I ask you if, you know, put on your Eric Bischoff, Bruce Richard hat for a second. Why do those two gentlemen not like Dave so much? Is it just because he's quote unquote giving the business away? No, it's because they've reported stuff that's hurt their business. If there was someone uh, who, I don't know what your real day job is, but let's pretend that there's someone who is making a living saying things about your business that sometimes are true, but sometimes are not, you probably wouldn't like them very much either. That'd be the Russians. That'd be the Russians. Yeah, I work for Boeing, so I can think of a few people. Well, (laughs) insert your own joke here. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, keep it nice, keep it and non-political. As long as it's in the Tokyo Dome, it's always five stars. <laughs> no, it's ten stars now, isn't it? <laughs> it, gives, it gives extra oomph in the Tokyo Dome for days. That is true. That is true. Uh Conrad, have you ever been over to Japan to watch wrestling over there? Yeah, I saw not this year's Wrestle Kingdom, but last year. So last year that was that was Co- Alpha Omega, wasn't it? That was Cody and the Bucks last one. Okay. okay. That wasn't Alpha and Omega. That was the year before. Okay. They're all running together now. COVID time is like five years in my mind. So, all right. So, Conrad, do you, before we go into you explaining the wrestling business to Adam and trying to get him to, to decently like, at least be okay with it, um, tell us about, just about first family mortgage. Cause that, you know, while you are a great wrestling podcast guy, you're the pod father for wrestling. Um, your, your first love is mortgage. So tell us, tell us about, you know, everything you do in Huntsville and around the country now. Yeah. Well, listen, we're happy to, and it's fun that you live in Madison cause you've probably heard our radio commercials or seen us on TV for a long time. And I've we- used you actually. You, you <laughs> that we we've been doing it for a long time i've been doing mortgages on the parkway here in, in south huntsville since august of 2001 uh, and eventually i got my whole family into it my sister works as a closer now and she prepares the closing documents my mom helps with some of the accounting stuff my dad originates loans one of my cousins answers the phone another cousin originates loans it really is first family mortgage but we've got a whole team of other folks who work with us behind the scenes and we're helping you know hundreds of families every single month go ahead and, and consolidate their debt, pay off their house faster, reduce their term from a 30 down to a 15. Uh, and this time of year, people are still buying houses like crazy. So money's never been cheaper than it is right now. I've been doing this 19 years, and I've never been able to offer the rates I can right now. So your dollar goes a lot further. So if you're thinking about upgrading or buying a new house, now's the time to do it. If you're thinking about pulling some cash out to pay off some credit card debt or maybe upgrade some kitchens and bathroom, now's the time to do it. And we can make it happen with no money out of pocket. There's no cost or obligation over at SaveWithConrad.com. Not going to lie, it's kind of cool to have a first family mortgage ad on my podcast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, how many times have you said that, though? Like, like you, you just spit it off perfectly, nothing to read. Like, you just, that's, how many times have you said that? You uh, think? 
Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> He's heard it on the radio forever, and it was a little weird yeah. to start that way to not start with, hey, "Hey, it's Conrad Thompson with First Family Mortgage." <laughs> Launched into the pit, but yeah, I, I don't have to read anything anymore. I can just. <laughs> Where did the hey hey come from? My uh, my grandmother used to keep uh, old folks. She was one of the first folks in Alabama to have what's called a domiciliary. It's sort of the in-between where maybe they can't stay by themselves anymore, but they're not quite yet ready to go to a nursing home. Uh, so she would keep uh, old folks and one of the, so I grew up around old people and uh, learned to play cards and, and knit and checkers and chess and lots of stuff from old people as a little kid. And uh, one of the old ladies that we really, really liked a lot that I became close with eventually started to slip away a little bit mentally. And, and uh, she would greet everyone when they came into the room with, Hey, Hey, and uh, it started with, hey, and then I would say, hey, and then she would say, hey, hey, and it became a thing. And so it became a thing through my whole family. Like even to this day, my, when my mom comes to my house or I go to her house, we announce ourselves with, hey, hey. And, you know, I was looking for the wrestling fan in me. I needed a gimmick. So I thought I'm going to start my ads with a gimmick and I want to end with a gimmick. And I didn't have like um, a number that spelled anything. You know, back in the day, you got to remember people used to say things like, uh, call, uh, you know, five, eight, two save, or, you know, uh, five, one, two loan or something like that. Well, I didn't have a number like that. So I said, okay, I've got to say the number a certain way every single time. That'll be my gimmick to close. Cause I want that to be the last thing that hears the phone number, but to open and introduce myself, I need a gimmick to, to get started. So they know, Hey, this is him, but I didn't want to invest in a jingle and have a music bed underneath me. I wanted me to be my commercial to be the only thing on the radio that had no music behind it. So it would stand out. And so some people would be critical of the ad and they would say, Oh, it's not produced enough. It doesn't sound polished. And my thing was, it sounds real. It sounds like I'm talking to you one-on-one -on -one in your car, having a conversation because when you're talking to your friend, there's usually not a soundtrack in the background. Uh, so I just started with, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. And I finished with four, two, five, zero, one, zero, five. And I said that enough to where then. You know, in real life, people would, I mean, even when I meet people at Rosie's for the first time and they're like, are you? And I'll say, hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. <laughs> so it works pretty good. That's, that's awesome. And if you ever drive in Alabama, you will hear the conversation. Oh, you, you'll hear the Conrad Thompson every time. And you yep. hear it on every radio station just about, well, it's all Cumulus Radio, right? Basically. Is it Cumulus Radio still? Is that what it is, Huntsville? Yeah, yeah. Cumulus and iHeart are the two big clusters here in America. And, of course, Cumulus is part of the Westwood One uh, force globally. But Cumulus is their American radio arm. And it's kind of cool because, you know, I'm advertising with Cumulus, and all of my podcasts are also hosted by Cumulus, Westwood One. Well, there you go. Do you still have to pay the, the ad revenue? Or since you're on there, do you say, hey, part of my deal, I want this much airtime for my commercial? Yeah, I do negotiate commercials. Uh, as part of my contract with Westwood, but it's commercials to promote the podcast. I keep them separate. Uh, I make more than I pay them. So uh, I'm coming out ahead. I don't want to make, <laughs> make <them. laughs> Hey, you're the one that's negotiating. That's that's good. Yeah. All right, Conrad. Now we have the, the tall ask. Um, I have tried. I've known Adam for 20 years, mm -hmm. and I've been a wrestling fan since the dawn of Monday Nitro. Uh, 95 was when I got really into it. And then I became a huge fan watching, you know, watching all the history and stuff in the back, in the rears. Um, and, and I met Adam in 99, 2000 at Alabama. And he's always scoffed at me for liking wrestling. 
you know, even though he's a, a NASCAR fan, which NASCAR and wrestling kind of go hand in hand, uh, he, he, he don't give me that look, Adam. Don't give me that. That's look. an interesting take. We'll talk that in another episode. Continue. That's just, okay. Okay. Um, he he's always said that wrestling is uh, a a male soap opera and childish. I guess is his. Uh, I've never said childish. Well, you've had let's the thought. Go, let's not go too far here. This is what you call childish. All these right here. These are not All, toys. <laughs> they're collectibles. They're collectibles. <laughs> All three of us have a shelf somewhere with the same thing. So I've got nothing on you guys there. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, what's that in the far corner back there? Is that the, your Star Trek? Star Trek uniform? Over, over here? Yeah. Star Trek. Trek Trooper? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, Conrad, how, how would you try to get Adam to like wrestling? Keep in mind, he's an engineer who, who works at Disney. So how would you talk him into liking it and and sit him down and explain a show to him well i don't think you can talk him into it i think you've just got to show it to him i think you should show him uh ray mysterio and eddie guerrero from halloween havoc 97 and just see what uh, that's the phantom that's the phantom yeah but the deal is you know I'm taking notes he's not, <laughs> he's not wrong if he says that wrestling is a male full opera it 100 percent is <laughs> we shouldn't deny that it's anything different but that doesn't mean that it's not good you know, and you know, it used to make me chuckle when people would say, "Oh, well, wrestling's fake." Oh, so Iron Man's for real, huh? Like, come on, <laughs> it's, it's entertainment. Let, let's let's have a little bit of uh, understanding that they're trying to just entertain us. But I think you could show him that match, or you could probably also show him Hell in a Cell from 1997 with Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, or maybe Hell in a Cell with Undertaker and Foley at King of the Ring '98. Oh, uh, or maybe you could show him Terry Funk and Ric Flair from New York Knockout and December of '89. Um, but maybe you know he would like the Stone Cold um, Bret Hart match from WrestleMania 13. I think if you could show him two or three of those matches, maybe he wouldn't necessarily come away a wrestling fan, but he would just look at you and say, "Okay, I get it." Because here's you the thing: throw in throw in some Sable. No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> not the match. None of the matches. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's the thing: he can find better than that with a quick Google search. <laughs> You're right. You got a point. Yeah. So, so here's my mistake. A uh, couple years. That was about a year and a half ago when I was down there. Uh, before Bray Wyatt came out as as the fiend, when we were really in the Firefly Funhouse era. I showed him back to back about two or three episodes of the Firefly Funhouse. That was a mistake. He, that was a mistake, you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he walked away and looked at me and said, What did I just watch? Yeah. A lot, I feel like it sounds like the older stuff is what's going to make someone interested. Because I got to say, I've tried a couple of times recently. I'll turn it on. You're like, Oh, we're watching this, and I'll have it on. And I'm just like, Oh, mm, you know? Can't quite get there, but the athleticism does impress me. I have to say that much. Well, I mean, what they're able to pull off and not die—that <laughs> that is impressive. I'll give them absolute credit for that. I think one of the things we and Dave have gone back and forth on a few times, though, is I understand having a Hall of Fame because not everybody can jump off of a top rope, execute a move, land in the right spot, not to hurt the other person and all that stuff. But to have someone in the Hall of Fame, and I think Dave used the justification because of how many titles they've won. It's like those titles were written into a story. That's like having Stefano in a Days of Our Lives Hall of Fame because he has the highest body count. 
in days of our lives, right? And th those are the kind of like fringe conversations that Dave and I have had over the last few years where I don't scoff per se, I chuckle but think is about the word that I'll use. Think about promotions and raises, right? Think What's of that? Think of, it, think of it as promotions and raises. No, no I, I totally understand. You have characters who can pull it off and are really popular and characters who aren't. But to quote stats to me, like you did that one time, Dave, when we were talking around, this guy's like nine time champion. It's like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so you're saying to me then what you, you would say the nine time champion is like being a vice president. No. no it, it, is that that promotion and raise thing? Turbo? No, it's revenue based. So, you know, if sure. you, if you had someone who, let's say the Rolling Stones, if, the, if, if it's silly to, to say uh, Rick Flair should be in the hall of fame because he's a 16 time champion. It's also silly to say uh, the Rolling Stones should be in because they won X number of Grammys. Yeah. Because the, the, there is a decision-making committee that decides who should be champion. Just like there is a decision-making committee who decides who had the best album of the year. So if, if, if wrestling titles are make-believe, so are Grammys, so are Oscars, so, are, so is the Electoral College. Is that one person, though, that really makes the distinction on who gets that title? There's no. really one man, right? No. Now, one man says if he goes or not, right? Okay, are you talking about ever or now? Because we're talking about two different things. Flair won it when there was an NWA committee. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about the WWF. WWF, okay. WWE. That's what I'm talking about. All right, then there's, here's your other analogy, then. If you're talking about modern wrestling, it's based on revenue. So if this is one of the best movies of all time because it sold the most tickets and created the most revenue, then this guy sold the most concerts, sold out the most venues uh, from the musical side of things. So like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with K-pop or Korean pop that all the kids mm -hmm. are into, but BTS had this big tour that they sold out like that. And they would announce stadium shows back to back because it sold out over and over. Those stats will be quoted one day when they go into this hall of fame that they sold out this many venues, this many seats, this many tours, blah, blah, blah. Well, pro wrestling equivalent of that is the main event. And the main event is always what drew the house, what sold the tickets. If there's 10 matches on the card, most of the folks in that building didn't come to see the guy in the first match. They came to see the guy in the last match, just like in boxing or whatever. Uh, so those accolades, which while they may be decided upon by someone else, those guys are going to be the ones in the position to sell the most tickets. So on the one hand, I understand the criticism that they didn't actually win it, but they did actually sell all the tickets and driving revenue in business is winning. So that's how yeah. they deserve the accolade. Yeah. We've had the sport versus not conversation a lot too. Right. And, and I, and I'm not going to beat that horse right now, but I can, I can, I think actually, actually, Hey, Hey, hey. I want to hear Conrad's take on that. Not a sport. That's it. The end of yeah. the conversation. Okay. So, so I think that's, I think that's the problem though. I think there's too vocal of a, what's that? Sports entertainment. Athletic entertainment. No, well, I mean, what's the difference between sports entertainment and athletic entertainment? As long as the word entertainment's at the end, it doesn't matter. But the reality is nobody could just crawl off a bar stool and go do it. There is a lot of athleticism involved. Hey, yeah, it's not curling or, or uh, in the eighties and nineties. There's a lot of that. <laughs> there's a lot of that in eighties and nineties. I mean, just ask. Scott Hall. I mean, I'm sure he did a couple times. Well, but but to the sport point, I think that's the problem. Is there are a vocal, large vocal group of people that I've heard that say it is a sport, and so it's it's hard for I think the average layperson in wrestling to walk off the street, try to watch it, 
and separate that it's not a sport with the fact that you use championships and titles and the nomenclature uses sport nomenclature. And so I think that's probably why people have a little bit of a problem because they don't know it's revenue based. They don't understand that it's more like an entertainment industry like music. There's so many people out there saying it is a sport and it borrows so much from sports that maybe there's like a mental break people can't make to say, okay, I'm not going to view it as a sport. But when people are being told <clears throat> me by other people in the world, <clears throat> Dave, that it hey. is a sport, <laughs> I think that thread might be drawn a little too tight to separate the two. But, you know, that's just one one person's opinion. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. It's just um, that that's where I was coming from. And that, that makes total sense, though. I had no idea about the committee and the revenue-based stuff. So that analogy does make sense. So let me ask you this, Conrad, with AEW trying to do the whole records and rankings and all that, is that maybe hurting the business because they're trying to make it like more like a sport? No, it's, it's a storytelling aid. You know, w w you've got to have stakes. You've got to have a re we need to hear, you know, one of the things they used to talk about in wrestling all the time and storytelling is, you know, why does the guy want to be the champion? Well, they used to say he's going to get the winner's purse. And we're all familiar with that in the UFC where you would have, you know, 50 grand to show 50 grand win bonus. So if you show up and have the fight, even if you lose, you make 50 grand, but if you win, you win an extra 50 grand, Well, that's easy for people at home to sort of wrap, wrap their head around and reconcile. But how do you get to where you're actually competing for a title? Because we all have been led to believe that when you're the champ and you're headlining a show, you make more money. So if we're all still going to go into that with this line of thinking in this pretend world, everyone's vying for this championship, then wins and losses should matter because they're just like in college football, you know, they're moving up the rankings or they're moving down the rankings. And if someone who was ranked ahead of them loses, even if you didn't have a match that week, you can move up like Alabama did this past week. But that, that is a storytelling device. Uh, I don't think it's to confuse anyone in 2020 into believing that wrestling is real. Uh, I, I think it's just something that we can explain. Hey, this guy's ranked number three and this guy's ranked number eight. And if eight beats three, he can really move up closer towards the title shot, which is where everybody wants to be. So yeah. I understand that and, and think that that's the intent. I don't know that they convey that as well as they maybe originally hoped because I don't think they've really pushed consistently the top 10 rankings they have shown the, the records every week and i think that's important especially when you're trying to use it as a storytelling device because a lot of times people will get a title shot and they'll think well this doesn't make any sense why would this guy get a title shot but if you in the three or four or five weeks prior to that show them on a win streak then you can say hey they started out with a slow start but they've got the hot hand now they've won five in a row let's see what they can do yeah i, I think though back to that point for for me that would almost be a blocker because if i if i the more it's doubled down on the sports aspect i turn it on and he's number five he's number three he's number one it's all decided by a group of people in a room you know understanding why you guys like it though as a storytelling device i think it makes sense but to to double down on the sports thing to me puts up a little bit more of a barrier to entry for someone who's brand new and has that kind of skeptical nature towards it Sure but, but I get it as a storytelling device. That side of it, I totally get why you guys like it. Uh, that it makes more sense to me now. Yeah, me and the stormtrooper behind Point you. Agree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Story, all storytelling device. I totally. I'm with you. It is. You. It is. I'm with you. But but you don't you don't turn on a star. I mean, it's like if if we were, if we turned on Harry Potter in the Quidditch match, like really someone's going to be crowned a champion in real life. 
No, it's not, right? It's all just a story. I totally get it. I get what you're saying. Real life, buddy. And there was no... <laughs> I know, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> and I'm just saying it's all to, to make people care. And, you know, because here's the thing. I have to ask myself a lot of times when it's just one guy wrestling another, why should I care about this match? And they don't, they don't always drill in on traditional wrestling shows. Well, they want to win because you make more money. And when you're talking about that in terms of because you are trying to present this as a story of why do you want to be champion? Why do you want to have a good match? Whatever the case may be. I just, I think it can add stuff. I just, I don't think they're there yet. Uh, I mean, you know, they've used some of it, but the top 10 thing I think could be utilized even bigger. I mean, and that was, that's another thing that happened in WCW way back in the day where they would show the full top 10. And I thought it added a lot to the show. So, so then in that top 10 scenario, is it something where if someone cultivates their character they cultivate their story they end up becoming popular they're going to end up making their way up to number one whereas somebody who doesn't convince the crowd as much someone who doesn't have a solid of a character can't pull it off as well they're going to stay where they are or fall down they're not going to get a title shot is that basically so, how you're saying it works so let me tell you this so one of the one of the best examples the opposite way was uh kurt hawkins a couple a couple years ago lost 200 straight matches 200 straight in a row and then came back and won at WrestleMania, won the tag titles with Zack Ryder. Like one of his first matches to win was for the belts, the tag, the tag team, raw tag team belts. Like it made it made it more interesting. It made it a lot more interesting. Well, the thing about it was people got behind him, and he didn't even realize he was on that epic losing streak until somebody said something to him. Like, and then they made it. A, that was one of the gimmicks. That made a gimmick. That made made him popular. Like a lot of people get behind the underdog. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's just, but when you say, why would someone want to win a championship? Because it's, you make more money is what drives someone towards that number one spot. They're obviously not winning or losing. Right. I mean, in, in a sports terminology, but they're winning or losing in the terms of conveying a story forward. So what, what decides in the background who wins and who loses? Part of it is story, obviously, but what's the what's the main thing? Why does someone get a shot when another one may not? Because the fans respond to it. The fans, okay, yeah. So, so the, the fans are the driver. If they're tuning in and ratings are good or they're selling tickets or they're selling merch, then that guy is over. So Darth Vader is over. Luke Skywalker is over. <laughs> Boba Fett is over. That little stupid baby y'all like, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, y'all is not part of this conversation. These two, maybe. Not me. I've never seen Star Wars. So so it's almost like if your pole position at a NASCAR race was determined by how how good your merchandise trailer did. Yes. Okay. Because okay. Junior would always be in pole. So I mean, NASCAR, and wrestling. NASCAR and wrestling, right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for that matter, sports, you know, the NBA decided LeBron was going to be the future, and they got behind sure. And the NFL decided Mahomes is the future and they got behind him. And so when you see, you know, leagues endorse guys like that and really put their quote unquote machine behind him. Yeah. And the same thing that Vince McMahon and Don King and well, every promoter ever has done. Sure. But it, it can also work the opposite way, right? Conrad, like Roman reigns before they turned him heel where the fans kind of where Vince tried to push Roman and the fans kind of turned on him a little bit. Well, but here's the thing. And, and I know, you know, people are going to argue this, but let's just think through it. Was that the plan all along? No. I, I still so. think, I think Roman Reigns sold merchandise. I was a huge Roman Reigns fan and nobody else was. Roman Reigns had the number one rating. He was number one in the ratings. His segment was every week. 
the the highest rated, and he sold the most merch. I mean, you could ask anyone from inside the company. He he sold the most live ticket. You put Roman on a house show, you sell more tickets. You, you put out a new Roman shirt, he sells more than everybody. But I'm saying the people who make the best heels are the people who you once loved the most. And like you know, let's say we all go to to dinner tonight in a pre-COVID era. And we had not so great service from our waitress. She was kind of rude. Do we hate her more or less than our ex-girlfriend? No, we hate the ex-girlfriend way more because we first loved her. And now we don't. That's just typical storytelling. You love them first and then you hate them later. Uh, I, I just think, you know, the, the best heels make eventually the best baby face and the best baby face. You, you get where I'm going with this. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carrie, 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 Carrie just said the wrong. That's that's wrong, Carrie. I'm not going to share what Carrie said, y'all. If you say it on the live, just look. Um, So let me ask you this, and you are correct about that. Then why did they never turn John Cena? Uh, Well, because here's the difference. I think John Cena is still to this day, as far as I know, he's granted more Make a Wishes than anyone else in history, Mm -hmm. and so you've positioned him as a champion to, and I hate to say this, sick children around the world and to have them now have some of their hopes and dreams dashed because you wanted to tell a cool story. I don't know if that was necessarily the right call. Uh, And he was also selling more merch than everybody. I mean, until he was off TV for an extended period of time, he was number one and Roman was number two. But then when he was off TV long enough, Roman passed him. And so I think with that in mind, knowing what he had done with his charitable works, it didn't make sense, especially in the, in the later years where, you know, he's really winding down. He's trying to transition out. It probably made sense to just let him stay that good guy. Yeah. So otherwise he wouldn't have done Ferdinand. So like my wife is totally against wrestling and, but the one person that she knows by far over everybody else is John Cena because she works at Make-A-Wish. She makes sure she makes a wish Alabama. And because she sees him plastered everywhere, everywhere she goes at every event, everything that goes to make a wish because John Cena and she knows him over Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And now, and of course she knows the rock because the rock's the biggest movie star right now. But John Cena is, I mean, to the lay person, he's more popular now than, I mean, just well, on that, on that scale than anybody. Yeah. I mean, he has more make a wish. I think he has more wishes than anybody in make a wish history. Yeah. So how, so let me ask one more question to clarify the, the knowledge here. How does that, how does that work? That partnership then do you ever have, have you ever had an example where someone's doing great? They're selling merchandise. They make a change and it kills their career because now fans don't like the person or vice versa. Somebody who really was a nobody and one storyline all of a sudden makes them popular and they rise to the top. I mean, is that, Miro. is that Miro? Both. It's happened a lot of times on both sides. You know, probably the biggest example of a, of a turn hurting a business is when uh, Steve Austin was the hottest star in the world in 2001, but he felt like it was getting a little stale because he had had essentially the same character from 97, 98, 99, and 2000. Yeah. So at the biggest WrestleMania ever in 2001, they switched and made him a bad guy, and the business never recovered. He was never as hot, never sold as many tickets, never sold as much merch. And you got to appreciate, he, as a businessman, he made money every time they sold one of his shirts. Yeah. So, you know, if they sold the shirt for $20, I'm just freestyling. He probably made five bucks. 
Well, now if you're a bad guy, guess what? You're going to sell less shirts. So yes, you may have had a better storytelling device, but if fans weren't ready for that, cause they wanted to cheer you on and you be a good guy and they don't watch as much, then that means, okay, ratings are down, ad revenues down. And oh, by the way, you're selling less merch. His character never recovered. So mm-hmm. th- there have been critical mistakes where, and I think that was a lesson as to why you don't do that with John Cena. If he's already our number one merch seller, there's only one place for him to go, and that's down. And also, too, you sort of alienate yourself from all the positive charitable work he's done. Let's just keep that going and keep our cash cow printing cash with these stupid, silly neon shirts. And it worked. (laughs) It still works. I mean, he still puts out a new shirt at least every two or three months. There's something new. That's a loyalty and respect. Yeah. Yeah, Rock said it best. He's Fruity Pebble. I mean, every one of his shirts looks like a Fruity Pebbles box. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, Conrad, one last question. I do have. Is there going to be a Starcast anytime soon? No, not during COVID. I mean, you know, there was supposed to be one this past Labor Day in Chicago, but uh, coronavirus had other plans. If if everything's normal next year and people are doing conventions, and you know, we're going to keep an eye on what happens for WrestleMania. You know, the rumor and innuendo is they're going to do it in Tampa. And, uh, supposedly they won't even be social distancing. They're going to have an ass every 18 inches or whatever the old cliche is. Uh, so I, I, if that's what they do, then, then they'll probably do a WrestleCon there and I'll get to see how that goes. But now that we have a new president, is that all going to change? Probably <laughs> It'll be interesting to see, you know, what, what happens or doesn't happen, but I will not be the first wrestling convention to figure it out. I'm going to let somebody go before me, figure it out and show me what to do more of and what to do less of. And if it looks feasible, I've got some really, really great ideas for the fifth one. And I'm okay. If that's the last one, uh, adfreeshows.com is taking up so much of my time now. Uh, and I'm expanding the podcast even further than the five I've got right now. We haven't made any formal announcements there yet, but that's coming. And you know, knock on wood, the, this is our best year we've ever had in the mortgage business. So I literally don't have time to plan you know, three or four conventions a year, but I could do one and I sure would like to do number five next year. I just need to see what's possible and what's feasible and, and get a playbook as far as best practices. Cause I don't want to do it. If a lot of people leave and they're sick because you know, they wanted to meet CM Punk or whatever. I don't want to yeah. do that. All right. So I have to, first off, can you give us an exclusive, it, you know, can you give us a hint on the sixth? Okay. Hey, I'd have to ask you what what kind of host. All right. And we do have a listener question real quick. Can we please ask Conrad his thoughts on GCW's collective and Indy? Was that a good idea? Well, listen, they had to do it eventually. I think the world of Brett Lauderdale and what he's doing with Game Changer Wrestling, you know, they were trying to do a solid, do a make good. Of course, it was originally supposed to happen WrestleMania weekend. And then uh, all of that changed because of the coronavirus. But folks were running events by then, and there's been, you know, indie events before and after that. And if we're honest, you know, the thing was, it's not exactly like it was sold out and there were 3,000 people hanging from the rafters. I watched the show, but I watched the stream on Fight TV, and I think most people did. But I do understand that there is heat on them because they're the most prominent independent company out there. Uh, But I, I don't. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that they did anything that other indie companies weren't doing. Now, they are held to a bigger standard, and uh, if they had it to do over again, I'm sure they would have done a few things a little differently. But I think they're, we're all learning through this together, and it's important to recognize that AEW, uh, uh, you know, ran by 
multi-billionaires and WWE also ran by billionaires have had similar coronavirus situations, uh, probably even more prominent. And, you know, it's unfair. I think that they get lumped in uh, into that same category because they don't have the resources and the financial backing, but they were trying to make good by all the talent who needed paydays. Cause these guys make their living as professional wrestlers. They haven't been able to work in months. And a lot of fans had paid a lot of money to see them uh, back in, in April. So they wanted to try to deliver on both ends, and I get the spirit of it. Uh, but, yeah, in hindsight, it probably was something that they should have waited on, but they had to know, they had to try, and I think they've, they've dialed a lot of that in because they're still running shows, and they have ever since, and we haven't heard circumstances or, or quote-unquote horror stories like we had at the time. And also, too, you know, a lot of us were living in, in – in a much more heightened, um, I don't know. We we were much more alert. I mean, I remember there was days where everybody I knew was leaving the house, wearing gloves and masks if they were leaving the house at all. Uh, and, and now everybody's sort of figuring out what the new normal is. And I'm tired of that phrase too, but now we know a little bit more about this disease and what we can do and what we can't do. Uh, so I, you know, I think people were making their best decisions at the time. I don't think there's any way that Brett would intentionally, want anyone to get sick or hurt or whatever yep all right i got one last thing conrad and then i want you to plug everything like give your socials give everything like all your podcast show- socials what is your collector as well as we see in the background what is your favorite item that you own uh the big gold belt the uh original nwa world championship it was debuted on uh, valentine's day of 1986 and then officially retired i guess uh, by the WWE, but mine in particular, I think was off TV by December of 2000. So you had a 14 year run with the same plates and that's a big deal for a wrestling belt. Uh, and it, it made the rounds, you know, that belt's been to North Korea, that belt's been to Japan, that belt's, uh, been, you know, upheld in court. It was the NWA world title and then on WWF TV and the WCW title and Hogan spray painted it and played air guitar with it on nitro and. You know, it was just a part of a lot of big moments. Muhammad Ali held that belt. So, yeah, that's a pretty cool collectible and, and probably my best one. So, so was yours was yours held by somebody? or? Yeah, it's the belt. It's the yeah. belt. Yeah, yeah, it's the belt. The belt. Really? Yeah. It's the belt. Not not like a replica, but the actual no, it, one. Yeah. And you all, do, do you also own the original some of the original plates? Or no, that, that's it. Yeah, those are the three plates. Like this is the belt you saw on TV your whole life. It's I'm about the the, the the molds. Yes, I have the molds that they use to make copies of the belt for WCW in uh, I think '99 or 2000. Uh, Kevin Nash, DDP, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, a few of those guys got those over the years. And the WWF actually had, or yeah, F at the time they had a copy of the belt that they used as their world title. So like when Jericho was the undisputed champ. Uh, that was a copy of my belt, but I have the original and, uh, yeah, I mean, I've turned down six figure offers for it because it's, it's the, it's, it's, if it's not number one, it's the number two most collectible belt around. And as luck wow. would have it, it's in Huntsville, freaking Alabama. And you have, do you have the, 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 so, so of your belts, right? That is your favorite belt. What other belts do you own? I know you have several. Yeah, I have a lot. I have some, I can't tell you about, uh, my second favorite is uh, probably the, the Big Eagle. We talked about earlier the WrestleMania 17 with Rock and Austin. I have that particular belt. 
from that WrestleMania. So it's pretty cool when you've got a, a, a rock belt, an Austin belt, an angle belt, a hunter belt, a Jericho belt. Uh, and that's, that's in the collection too. That's a big one. I've got the first and last ECW belts. I've got the best TNA belt that has the broken wing that like Joe and AJ and angle and all those guys held. Um, I just got the gold dust intercontinental, which is kind of cool. So gold oh, awesome. and Ahmed Johnson, I just got a WWF tag from 97. So that was held by Austin and Foley and Sean Owen bulldog LOD. So that's a good one. Uh, I've got the blue tags from the NWA back in the day. So Arn Tully road warriors, midnights, rock and roll, everybody. Um, what else? I've so got how a- awesome, like how awesome is it to have that original belt and have Ric Flair in your house holding that belt? Right. Uh, <laughs> you know it's it's funny because you know once upon a time i could see how that would be a big deal and you know i I get it yeah i I, yeah i've voicemailed him since i've been on the phone with you guys so (laughs) (laughs) oh and and adam he's his his wife is the daughter to rick flair okay so if if you know who rick flair is that that's a big deal (laughs) all right come on give me a little bit of credit and, uh, but I have, I have a question for you, Conrad. What is your all-time favorite match? Like one match oh, that you can watch over and over and over again and never get tired of it. Uh, Flair Funk is a good one from uh, Clash, uh, New York Knockout, and December of '89, Troy, New York. Is that a is that a is that a Broadway one-hour Broadway? No, it's an I Quit. Okay, uh, that's a great one. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of uh, Austin. Brett WrestleMania 13, a double turn. Uh, oh, just tremendous storytelling. I love the, the other one I recommended. I think that the one to show a non fan is Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio from Havoc 97, because the athleticism, the timing, the skill, it, it's just off the charts. Um, I love Flair Vader from Starcade 93. I love, uh, Sean and undertaker from hell in a cell in October 97. I don't really like Hunter and Sean, or not Hunter and Sean, but I don't really like uh, Taker and Sean from WrestleMania 25 as much as everybody else does. I know it's a good match, but and, and, I, and I agree, it's a great match. But I just didn't, I don't know if I, I just wasn't into wrestling as much at the time. I thought it was a great match, but I don't put it in that category with everybody else. Him coming down like he was heaven sent kind of turned it off for me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I get the story they're trying to tell. One guy's coming from hell, the other guy's coming from heaven, the whole thing. I mean, I get that. But it was just, I'm with you, maybe, a little too cheese. And here's the thing, too. I was a big fan of both of those guys, but The Undertaker never really hit for me the way he did for everybody else. Like, Thank really? you. Thank yeah, you. I, I mean, um, I, I do like Undertaker, but he's not the godsend by any means. He's not. Like, I, I, I like The Undertaker. Don't get me wrong. He's great. He does a lot of great stuff. But everybody else wants to paint this picture of how great and wonderful he is and all this, but he was just a big guy. I mean, it's hard to be a, he was a good working big guy. That is true. He, he had the <laughs> entrance. He had a he had entrance. Yeah. yeah. Come, Come on, on, Dave fight, fight. I mean, Dave is Come on. Dave, that's like, Dave that's like somebody saying phantoms not a great Broadway musical to you. He's Come on. Okay. He, he's it's, it's all right. But I, mean, I, I am, I'm wearing the WCW from 1997, Probably 99. I go 98. Is that the one back? Got the red on. Yeah. Yeah. My two favorite wrestlers, and 
the Eric is going to flame me here. My two favorite wrestlers of all time, Kevin Nash and Undertaker. And, and fight. Yeah, no, yeah. just because I like the big guy. I like the big guy that can just beat everybody and should beat everybody. Well, to put it in perspective, Dave is 6'6". Six, six. He's 6'6". <laughs> six six. So, yeah. I mean, he, he likes the big guys, but definitely. I do, too. You know, still the guilty pleasure of mine. I love Sid. And, and I, but I love The Undertaker, too, and I can appreciate all of his work. But I'm just saying. You know, by and large, I, I, there was never a time where I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this Undertaker match. I mean, it, it, he had good matches. He was entertaining. Live, it's one of the most impressive. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Live, like, it's it's amazing. Like, if you take someone to just see, and, and I don't think he gets enough credit, but Jim Johnston had such a home run with that theme song. Uh, and, and But just the lighting, the smoke, the purple, the slow walk there. It's it's a presentation, and I think that's what the Undertaker is to me more than an in ring performer. It was the overall presentation of the character, not so much ding ding ding. Okay, here comes a barn burner. Yeah, he's yeah. never been great bell to bell. It, it, you're right; it's the character to me. Uh, and, and you know, he's got a great entrance uh, right now, or right now he hadn't wrestled in a while, but rumor is he's wrestling in a couple weeks. Uh, but he's got, but I think his best entrance was 98 97 when he was with the or was it 99 the corporate ministry yeah that, i actually hated that that was my least favorite <laughs> um, but you know we're different ages you know i just know because you said you started watching in 95 it's the worst possible time to start watching so i'm a little older so i i liked the early undertaker and i liked the american badass version of the undertaker but when it was the the attitude era undertaker just didn't hit for me, you know, really? all I'm going to kill you and sacrifice you and, you know, crucify you. It was like, Oh, this is just, I mean, lame. Kane was more of an impact to me than, than undertaker was. It was Kane's lame. Fight. Yeah, it was lame, but then undertaker and, you know, him, him being sacrificed on the T. I don't know. That just seemed that was dumb. It, what it about when me. an undertaker was dressed as Kane? I mean, How that do you did happen. How do you know? <laughs> I know. Yeah, how man, do you know about that? I did some recon. Come on. Oh, he just look at rings, ring size collectibles. Well, no. Dead Man's Revenge. I watched a few videos. Come on. Okay. Well, that was a great angle. You know, that that was, yeah. great job of that, especially on a tape show. Uh, it was still a surprise. So yeah, I, I, he told a lot of great stories, but you know, recently we've seen mankind say the undertaker made him in the WWF. I think the undertaker needed somebody. And I thought that character was just sort of flailing around. And then the mankind feud that they did in 96 with him, I thought really leveled up the undertaker in a big way. So when he but, had the right dance partner, the undertaker is just, uh, able but, to create magic. But then if you put him in there with a Bundy or, a, or, a, or uh, Gonzalez, it's yeah, was Gonzalez big I, time bad. That was a, that was a, that was terrible, but you, uh, so you hit on it, but, if for the undertaker, what other character would be the best? I mean, would be the best character in all of all of wrestling, like in wrestling history, like character wise, would that not be the best character ever? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so. Come mean, on. Yeah. Shocker. Get... Shockmaster. Wasn't that the best character in wrestling history? Uh, it was... right, guys, we're, we're winding down now. I, I know. Yeah, that. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> So can I ask you one last question? 
Yeah, sure, sure. This comment right here. If Taker didn't have the streak, is he as big of a deal? Of course. So if I'm relating that back to everything that I've learned tonight, did he have the streak because he was already a big deal? And I'm a serious question. No. Did he have the streak because he was popular or was that part of the story that made him popular? Total accident. Wasn't a plan. It was uh, on the way to WrestleMania 18. Uh, Michael Hayes, who is a producer now for the company and was at that time, said, did y'all realize that Undertaker has never lost at WrestleMania? And they fact-checked, and they came to the same conclusion. Oh, my gosh, he's 9-0. and So once the Undertaker won at WrestleMania 18, he held up 10 fingers to signify that he's 10-0. and And that's the first time anybody ever talked about the streak, and it became a part of the story. And just like in football, it became, you know, Hey, can he keep the streak alive? And it, it became a new storytelling device. So then years and years and years later, when he finally did lose, it was a monumental deal because nobody thought the streak would ever come to an end. So it wasn't the main event. There wasn't a world title on the line, but the build for the show was I'm going to be the one in your 21 and one or whatever it is. And, uh, when he finally lost the streak, it was a big deal and it's still debated to this day. So it's another example of where stats used in wrestling can be a storytelling element sure. to sort of make it relatable to sports, even though we know, well, it's not really, we get that, but it, it adds to the story and the stakes, if you will, of, of why you want to win. Do I sound like that? No, you don't. I'm kidding. <laughs> so is there, is there anybody that you have not met in wrestling that you would like to meet? Nope. That, that's is there impressive. anybody that you've met where you just been floored? Besides, like drinking beer with Stone Cold in a hotel room, is there any other time where you'd be just absolutely floored with, like, in your experiences that you've had? Is it, is it every day you wake up and you're, it, it's every day? I mean, my first WrestleMania is probably the biggest one because I went for my very first WrestleMania, it was WrestleMania 30 in New Orleans. I'm there and I go into the back. That's how I get into the building with Ric Flair. And I got my picture made with The Rock and Steve Austin and Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. And Ric Flair was the cameraman for all of those photos. <laughs> that was pretty surreal. Uh, and then after getting, you know, uh, sequestered to meet with Vince McMahon and have a private meeting with him on a TV day when there was talent probably lined up to talk to him and somehow he wanted to talk to me was pretty freaking surreal. So. I didn't exactly know what to say. And, you know, I've, I've through the course of my life through, you know, my sales work and my mortgage stuff and all my podcasting, you know, I've had to speak to groups of thousands of people before, but I was somehow a little more nervous and a little more uh, anxious about sitting in just a room with me and Vince. Like, what do I say to like our, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, this is our Walt Disney and he knows yeah. my name and invited me to meet him and we're having a conversation and he's asking about my family. That was a weird deal. So yeah, that's probably the most surreal, but yeah, uh, getting drunk with Ric Flair and stone cold at a bar. That's pretty hard to beat too. <laughs> so I have to ask this and we'll close it right here. I, I we've taken enough of your time, but after he plugs, he has to plug yeah, after he plugs, of course, <laughs> but is Vince, does he carry himself in private as this larger than life character or is he just Vince McMahon, regular old guy behind closed doors? Regular old guy. Now, don't get me wrong. You know you're shaking <laughs> hands with a billionaire who created most of the stuff you grew up loving. 
So the intimidation isn't from him. It's in your own head because you know who this guy is and what he did and, and how important his contributions are to your life. As silly as that sounds, you know, you go back and you know, what if there was no George Lucas, like imagine how important, how you know incredible that really is. And imagine in my dad's lifetime, if there was no bear Bryant, like what a big deal he was to my dad's life. And, you know, some people, you know, if you're not a star Wars fan or you're not a college football fan, those examples may not make any sense, but to grow up in a world where there was no Mickey mouse and no Disney, that would be weird. And to grow up in a world where, you know, Hulk Hogan, no, Hulk Hogan it, yeah, it, it, there was no stone cold. There was no rock. That would just be weird. Even if you weren't a real longtime wrestling fan. And so the, the only, um, bravado and, and anxiety and, and airs about Vince are what we put on in our own mind because he was just a regular dude and couldn't have been nicer. And I've met him twice, but that was the first time we had like an extended conversation and yeah, he was uh, delightful. It's easy to see why people are charmed by him and want to do business with him. And I mean, he has that whole law of attraction thing down pat. Like you want to like this guy. That's pretty cool. All right, Conrad. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming and spending time with us, you know, talking wrestling for an hour or so. Um, if people want to tweet at you, if they want to follow your shows, if they want to, you know, find you, how do they do that? Uh, just go to save with Conrad.com or find me on social at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Uh, I'm pretty much on all the circles that way. Uh, it's H E Y H E Y I T S C O N R A D. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And uh, that's it, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. And thanks for letting me uh, talk wrestling with you guys. And hopefully you'll convince our friend to uh, sit down and watch a match with you and pick one of those. I think you'll be in good shape. If I'm going to try. Me, if they can get me to watch Star Wars, then Adam's watching a wrestling Oh, yeah. That, that's a fair trade. <laughs> I, that might be something we do for. Our, that's exactly something we're going to do for our Patreon. Uh, we'll let them watch Adam watch wrestling. Um, Adam, if they want to uh, get a hold of our show, what's that phone number? Yeah, 650 UAB show. Spell it out on your keypad. You'll hear a message from us followed by a beep. Beep. Thank you, Dave. And um, then leave leave a message for us, a question, a hot take, just something you want to geek out about. We'll play it on the show. We do it every time we get a call. 650 UAB show, or you can hit us up on socials. Dave, tell them how to do that. So the show is at uh, Not Related Bros on Twitter. We are at Unrelated at Birth on Instagram. I'm dadams419 on both Instagram and Twitter. Adam's just on Instagram, uh, Run Tide Run. The show on uh, Facebook, find us, just facebook.com backslash Unrelated at Birth. Also, join our Facebook fan group where we just chat. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of chats this last couple of weeks because we just find some fun stuff to, to geek out about on the Facebooks. Uh, also, if you are so inclined, $5 a month, patreon.com backslash unrelated birth. Uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, it means a lot that y'all hang out with us so much over the week. Um, we we truly do love you guys. And uh, I know that sounds cliche, but we mean it. Adam, take them home. Yeah, guys, thanks for giving us some more of your time this week. We love you, but not as much as Jesus does. Be kind to one another out there. Stay safe, and we will catch you guys next week.